Part four, propositions forty-one to forty-five, of the Ethics by Spinoza. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by OK. The Ethics by Benedict de Spinoza, translated by R. H. M. Elways. Part four, propositions forty-one to forty-five. Proposition forty-one: Pleasure in itself is not bad, but good. Contrariwise, pain in itself is bad. Proof: Pleasure, part three, proposition eleven, and note, is emotion whereby the body's power of activity is increased or helped. Pain is emotion whereby the body's power of activity is diminished or checked. Therefore, by part four, proposition thirty-eight, pleasure in itself is good. Contrariwise, pain in itself is bad. Quod erat demonstrandum. Proposition thirty-two. Mirth cannot be excessive, but is always good. Contrariwise, melancholy is always bad. Proof. Mirth, see its definition in Part 3, Proposition 11, Note, is pleasure which, in so far as it is referred to the body, consists in all parts of the body being affected equally. That is, Part 3, Proposition 11. The body's power of activity is increased or aided in such a manner that the several parts maintain their former proportion of motion and rest. Therefore, mirth is always good. Part 4, Proposition 39, and cannot be excessive. But melancholy, see its definition in the same note to Part 3, Proposition 11, is pain which, in so far as it is referred to the body, consists in the absolute decrease or hindrance of the body's power of activity. Therefore, by Part 4, Proposition 38, it is always bad. Quod erat demonstrandum. Proposition 43. Stimulation may be excessive and bad. On the other hand, grief may be good in so far as stimulation or pleasure is bad. Proof. Localized pleasure or stimulation, titillatio, is pleasure which, in so far as it is referred to the body, consists in one or some of its parts being affected more than the rest. See its definition, Part 3, Proposition 11, Note. The power of this emotion may be sufficient to overcome other actions of the body, Part 4, Proposition 6, and may remain obstinately fixed therein, thus rendering it incapable of being affected in a variety of other ways. Therefore, Part 4, Proposition 38, it may be bad. Again, grief, which is pain, cannot as such be good, Part 4, Proposition 41. But as its force and increase is defined by the power of an external cause compared with our own, part 4, proposition 5, we can conceive infinite degrees and modes of strength in this emotion, part 4, proposition 3. We can therefore conceive it as capable of restraining stimulation and preventing its becoming excessive and hindering the body's capabilities. Thus, to this extent, it will be good. 
Quod erat demonstrandum. Proposition 44. Love and desire may be excessive. Proof. Love is pleasure, accompanied by the idea of an external cause. Definition of emotion 6. Therefore, stimulation, accompanied by the idea of an external cause, is love. Part 3, Proposition 11, Note. Hence, love may be excessive. Again, the strength of desire varies in proportion to the emotion from which it arises. Part 3, Proposition 37. Now emotion may overcome all the rest of men's actions. Part 4, Proposition 6. So therefore can desire, which arises from the same emotion, overcome all other desires, and become excessive, as we showed in the last proposition concerning stimulation. Note. Mirth, which I have stated to be good, can be conceived more easily than it can be observed. For the emotions whereby we are daily assailed are generally referred to some part of the body which is affected more than the rest. Hence the emotions are generally excessive, and so fix the mind in the contemplation of one object, that it is unable to think of others. And although men, as a rule, are a prey to many emotions, and very few are found who are always assailed by one and the same, yet there are cases where one and the same emotion remains obstinately fixed. We sometimes see men so absorbed in one object that although it be not present, they think they have it before them. When this is the case with a man who is not asleep, we say he is delirious or mad. Nor are those persons who are inflamed with love and who dream all night and all day about nothing but their mistress or some woman considered as less mad for they are made objects of ridicule. But when a miser thinks of nothing but gain or money, or when an ambitious man thinks of nothing but glory, they are not reckoned to be mad, because they are generally harmful, and are thought worthy of being hated. But in reality, avarice, ambition, lust, etc., are species of madness, though they may not be reckoned among diseases. Proposition 45 Hatred can never be good. Proof. When we hate a man, we endeavour to destroy him. Part 3, Proposition 39. That is, Part 4, Proposition 37. We endeavour to do something that is bad. Therefore, hatred can never be good. Quod erat demonstrandum. Note bene, here and in what follows, I mean by hatred only hatred towards men. Corollary 1. Envy, derision, contempt, anger, revenge, and other emotions attributable to hatred or arising therefrom are bad. This is evident from Part 3, Proposition 39, and Part 4, Proposition 37. Corollary 2. Whatsoever we desire from motives of hatred is base, and in a state, unjust. This also is evident from Part 3, Proposition 39 and from the definitions of baseness and injustice, in Part 4, Proposition 37, Note. Note, between derision, which I have in Corollary 1 stated to be bad, and laughter, I recognise a great difference. For laughter, as also jocularity, is merely pleasure. Therefore, so long as it be not excessive, it is in itself good. 
Part 4, Proposition 41. Assuredly, nothing forbids man to enjoy himself, save grim and gloomy superstition. For why is it more lawful to satiate one's hunger and thirst than to drive away one's melancholy? I reason, and have convinced myself as follows. No deity, nor any one else save the envious, takes pleasure in my infirmity and discomfort, nor sets down to my virtue the tears, sobs, fear, and the like, which are signs of infirmity of spirit. On the contrary, the greater the pleasure wherewith we are affected, the greater the perfection whereto we pass. In other words, the more must we necessarily partake of the divine nature. Therefore, to make use of what comes in our way, and to enjoy it as much as possible, not to the point of satiety, for that would not be enjoyment, is the part of a wise man. I say it is the part of a wise man to refresh and recreate himself with moderate and pleasant food and drink, and also with perfumes, with the soft beauty of growing plants, with dress, with music, with many sports, with theatres and the like, such as every man may make use of without injury to his neighbour. For the human body is composed of very numerous parts of diverse nature, which continually stand in need of fresh and varied nourishment, so that the whole body may be equally capable of performing all the actions which follow from the necessity of its own nature. And consequently, so that the mind may also be equally capable of understanding many things simultaneously. This way of life, then, agrees best with our principles, and also with general practice. Therefore, if there be any question of another plan, the plan we have mentioned is the best, and in every way to be commended. There is no need for me to set forth the matter more clearly, or in more detail. End of Part 4, Propositions 41 to 45 Recording by O.K.